0: It's a delight to be back with you. Uh, I do so appreciate uh, uh, your pastor and their wife. They are such dear, dear friends. Matter of fact, the pastor that he mentioned that we sat under Pastor uh, Joe Stenson, he was a gunny sergeant in the Marine Corps, and he ran the church like it was part of the Marine Corps. Matter of fact, when it came praise and worship time, he would just look at everybody and says, all right, let's get up and let's get a hold of God. But you got up and got a hold of God. Matter of fact, you knew they got a hold of somebody because the roof was about coming off. But it was a fabulous church, and he really had a heart and a ministry to raise up Timothys to send them all over the world. Because the congregation, because it was a military congregation uh, in uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina of Camp Lejeune, it was a constant turnover of fresh recruits that were coming in and going out, and he was just sending Timothys all over the world. Great, great ministry. Two of which uh, uh, your pastor and myself are are protégés from his ministry there. Let me just say to the worship team, what a beautiful, beautiful worship time. Thank you so much for uh, using the song, Come Thou Fount. I love that. It's one of my favorite songs. I think the message is so powerful. And I just want to tell you so much how how much I appreciate that. We had a wonderful time yesterday. Uh, as we looked at prophecy in the feast. When you go to Leviticus chapter 23, you read there that God says concerning the festivals in his, uh, his cycle, his yearly cycle that he has, of which he does everything on. Because the festivals in Leviticus chapter 23, God says, these are not the feast of Israel. He said, they are the feast of the Lord. These are my feasts that you are proclaim and acknowledge them in their time every year. And in those seven feasts that are listed there in Leviticus chapter 23, God actually takes us through and takes his people through step by step in order, not jumping around, but in order of the feast the full redemption story having to do with his first coming. And having to do with His second coming exactly on the feast days. And so we look specifically at the first four of which Jesus fulfilled in His first coming. He died on the very day of Passover in Jerusalem. He was in the grave on the very day of unleavened bread in Jerusalem. He rose from the dead on the very day of the Feast of Firstfruits in Jerusalem. Fifty days later, The Holy Spirit was outpoured as he had promised that he would leave so the Holy Spirit could come, because Jesus is the Lord over the church, but the Holy Spirit is the Lord in the church. One, to help us to be like Jesus, and two, to do the works of Jesus. And on the very day of Pentecost, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit was outpoured in Jerusalem. But there is no prophetic fulfillment as yet to the last three feasts. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the, day, and, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so we looked at those, and may, mostly scholars would agree that very possibly the rapture event may come in or around the uh, uh, Feast of Trumpets. The actual second coming of the Lord may be in and around Yom Kippur. And the millennial reign of Christ has more to do with tabernacles. Now, we're going to look at tabernacles tonight and the second coming of the Lord. And not only that, but we're going to look at the actual birth of Jesus. When was Jesus born? And how does that relate with the feast as well as Christmas and the minor festival of the Jewish people of Hanukkah. It's amazing insights. And it's all right there in the scripture. So tonight, you don't want to miss that. It will really, really enlighten you and bring some revelation insight to you there. Please come out tonight. Let me stay on our back table there. I work with an organization called Bridges for Peace out of Israel. We've been in the land for over 35 years now, working among the Jewish people, believing that God has brought them on because it's their appointed time to come into the fullness of the kingdom. Because we know when the Lord comes back, That he comes back to the Mount of Olives, exactly where he left from. That he looks and sees all the nations gathered together to destroy Israel and Jerusalem. He defeats the nations. Delivers Israel and says, They look upon him whom they pierced and mourn and weep of his only son. And all Israel is saved. So the second coming of the Lord to earth is a day of Yom Kippur. One, it's a day of judgment. The nations are judged. But for Israel, it's a time of full atonement. And they look upon their Messiah. Okay? But anyway, we've been in the land for 35 years, working among the Jewish people, believe that God has brought them back in their destiny and time. And just as it was Israel Jews that birthed the church in the first century, God is calling His church now, who knows the day in which we're living. To come along beside now his Jewish people and to aid them in their birthing process. Because it is a process, according to all the prophets one of return, one of rebuild the places long devastated, and one of being redeemed. Return, rebuild, redeem. And so we as Christians are there showing them a new era of Christianity, not one that says, you Christ killers. You killed the Messiah. You rejected Him. You're out. We're in. But one that understands that He had to be lifted up. That was their role in redemption story. And because of that, they lost their place in line though and had to go to the end. Because Paul says concerning the kingdom harvest, he says, albeit the first would be what? Last. And the last would become first. And that's the way it's been as far as coming to the fullness of covenant understanding. But now they've come home. Why have they come home? Because they still have one more role to play in redemption story. Because they're God's birthing agent in redemption products. They birthed the revelation of the one true God. They birthed the, the word of God and preserved it for mankind. With all the prophet, prophets, the covenants the promises, and then they birthed Messiah himself. And now they've come back because they're still God's birthing agent for redemptive products. Because the last great act of birthing, of coming forth, is about to take place. The coming back of the Lord again. Are you aware that for every one scripture that talks about his first coming, How wonderful and marvelous and powerful and important that was. That there are eight scriptures for every one that talks about his second coming. An eight to one ratio of significance. And Jesus rebuked the Jewish leaders of his day because they missed the clear signs of his first coming. When they looked for it for 2,500 years. And when it happened they totally missed it. Though it was in the providence of God that they would do so. So we could come in. But I wonder what he might say to his church. Who when there are eight more scriptures that talk about his second coming. If we as our leaders don't warn our people and help educate our people. That we need to know the day in which we're living. And we need to know what we need to do concerning Israel. As now everything is coming full circle. It started in Jerusalem. It's gone around the world. Now it's coming back to Jerusalem. And all the armies of hell are unleashed to stop it. By destroying the nation. We have taken the baton since the first century. And ran with it in all the world. We received the baton from Israel, from the Jewish people. And now we know as our commission kind of begins to wind down and we fulfill what he gave us to do as non-Jews, that it's time for us to take the baton, shift it to our left hand, and return it. And we need to make a good handoff so we're not disqualified. Because remember, two Olympics ago, American men in the 4 by 100 relay and the women dropped the baton and both were disqualified by it. Are we going to know the day in which we're living enough that we can pass the baton back to Israel that they can close this thing out in their destiny and call? Because they're there to allow the birthing, the coming forth of his second coming to come because he always comes in Jerusalem. And redemption story, according to the feast. And it always has to do with coming through Israel. That's why they've come home. Now that was a whole message in and of itself. I hope you got that. I'm not even going to charge you for it. It's yours free. But on the back table back there, let me just say that we have several materials that we have put out in our 35 years because God has given us tremendous resources to aid the church to stay on top of what's going on today without the CNN twist on it. You know what CNN means, right? Constant negative news. (laughs) So we want to give you, from a biblical perspective, current information out of Jerusalem. We have a magazine that comes out every two months called the Jerusalem Dispatch. We also have a teaching letter that comes out every month uh, that gives you, uh, from a a Hebraic perspective of the scripture studies in the scripture. And we send out an email every Friday, a little email bullet, email blast of what happened this week in the Middle East as related to Israel, the roadmap, the U.S., the world, and what God is doing in his prophetic timetable. Okay? You want to get these. also have a couple books. That's the only thing we ask any kind of funds for is to give us an offering for any of the books that you receive back there. Well, again, it is a delight to be with you. As I said tonight, we're going to switch gears uh, today. We're not going to talk about the Feast of the Lord, uh, the Tabernacles. We're going to talk about it tonight. This morning, I want to give you a briefing. I don't want to preach to you. I want to give you a briefing out of the Middle East, an update. What is going on? And put it within the uh, biblical perspective of God's moving today on his end time stage. Okay? And maybe link some of the puzzle pieces for you together, it's a delight for me to have a very special person in my life, the most special person in my life, the most important person in my life, uh, travel with me here, and uh, gosh, you know you've got such an array of colors out here. the leaves in Dallas, we don 't even have the leaves, much less the trees. So this is just wonderful us. we're mesmerized by all of this. Uh, Marcy, would you come, please? And uh, this is my dear, wonderful wife of 38 years. Uh, This is Marcy. She believes that she stands before the Lord, so she takes off her shoes. She's on holy ground. Uh, We have been married for 38 years, have two beautiful kids, five wonderful grandkids, and which has uh, provoked me to come up with a perfect poem. I've seen the lights of Paris. I've seen the lights of Rome, but the most beautiful lights I've ever seen are the tail lights of my kids taking my grandkids home. <laughs> <laughs> Marcia, you have something you'd like to share?
1: On our way to church this morning, I said to Lenny, um, we were in the car. Um, if you introduce me, that's fine. But I'm just going to sit right down there and I'll just wave. But um, all, really, when we first came in the door and the worship team was, was, was um, rehearsing and then altering worship, I have just felt God's presence so strong. And I just, this, these were just the thoughts that came, and I just want to share them with each of you. This is not my home, and, and it will be gone, but I just want you to know the Lord is in this place. I mean, I think you know, but I want you to know the Lord Jesus is in this place. The Lord, say it with me, the Lord is in In this this place. place. And um, I was just seeing him come, and sometimes he comes loud and he's boisterous, and I love that. Sometimes he comes as a, a, a stream, a strong stream, underground but it's so powerful and it's quiet, but he's here, and I want you to know that if you'll see him as you seek him as a treasure, sometimes treasure is hidden, and you may not see it the way you thought you'd see it. Sometimes treasure's on display, and it's glorious, but the treasure is here because he's here. And I just felt like he just wanted you to know, and I also was seeing the picture of all the places around this area where where they gather today. You know, there's a lot of houses of worship, I'm assuming, here. There are wherever most places in the United States. But he is here. He's here. And I don't know about you, but I would want to come to a place where he's at. Amen. Can we just give him glory? Yeah.
0: Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah!
1: We just thank you that you are here, that you are welcome here, and you, you come here, you abide here, and we are so thankful. So we just um, say thank you.
0: Thank you, sweetheart. Now you've met the spiritual side of the family. I don't want this. But I'll take it. Go ahead. Okay. When it comes to the Middle East, I have to tell a story. General and a lieutenant was traveling on a train from Nashville, Tennessee, back to the Pentagon had his lieutenant with him. They were sitting in a particular compartment of the train and sitting in front of the general and the lieutenant across from them was this matronly grandmother and her beautiful 21-year-old granddaughter. While in the train, uh, the train goes into a tunnel. Everything is blacked out. You can't see even your hand in front of your face. And all of a sudden, the sound is heard of, followed by. (laughs) The train comes out of the tunnel, and the general is seen rubbing his very red, freshly slapped cheek. And the general sits there and thinks to himself, "Uh uh-huh, that young buck lieutenant reached over there, tried to get cute with that young filly. She slapped the fire to him, thought she got him and got me. I'll deal with him later. The grandmother's sitting over there thinking, uh-huh, that old buck general reached over there to trying to get cute with my granddaughter. She showed him a thing or two. Way to go, sweetie. The granddaughter's sitting there thinking, uh-huh, and that old general reached over there trying to get cute with grandma. She slapped the fire out of him. And the lieutenant's sitting there thinking, where else but in America? Can you kiss the back of your hand and slap a general at the same time and get away with it? (laughs) Now, why do I tell you that? Very simply, because when it comes to Israel, when it comes to the Middle East... And when it comes to the media's representation of that, we don't always know what we're seeing. Okay? So we can't be tossed by every wave of news media. The Bible has warned us against that. We're to see through the goggles of heaven. And from that perspective, if not, you're going to be tossed back and forth And you're going to say, what in the world do I believe going on? But we're in a time when history and prophecy is meeting so fast today, we can hardly keep up with it. But understand, this is not Satan's working. This is God's working. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He is the director. Matter of fact, He's not only the director, but he is the promoter of all of this in-time theatrics that's going to happen. He's putting the actors on the stage. He is directing all the scenes. It is his story. Amen? Let's pray. Baruch atzah Adonai Eloheinu Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to understand, and a heart to believe all that you are saying and that you are doing, Lord. In the name of your Son, King, and coming King. Amen. You know, it occurred to me, it occurred to me that actually we are living in days where history is repeating itself. I mean just. 2,500 years ago. Haman of Persia. Ancient Persia. Said wipe out the Jews. And now. Modern day Persia. Which is Iran. It's Persia of old. Okay. And their mullahs and imams. And. And. President Akmani Nijad, though if you really want to say his name correctly, you can say Akhmani whack Whackjob. Also has an agenda. Israel must be wiped off the map. Why? Why does the world so vehemently hate this little country? Because they carry a role representing God. Even though they would say, we don't want this. Lord, choose somebody else for a while. We're tired. But because they're the symbol of God's presence in the earth, like his church is also the symbol in our role, and because they carried that birthing role of redemptive products and birthed Messiah, the enemy of God. I mean, if you were Satan and you knew That within the seed of this particular nation was the promise made to Abraham that through you, Abraham, all peoples of the world is going to be blessed. What would you do? You would try to annihilate this people and destroy them, therefore aborting the birthing process before it could come forward. And such has been the history of this nation from all of hell's henchmen. Pharaoh, Haman, Antiochus, Herod, the Crusades, Hitler, and now hell's next generation of henchmen. Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, and the Islamic world. Because it's against God. And the symbol of everything... Representing God. Now, I want to look at a few things, and I'm going to do it very quickly here. What's going on in the Middle East that are the potential for huge game changers. And the very first thing that we can look at is the fact that Israel has discovered now, in the last year and a half, huge oil reserves for the first time in their history. I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, the only woman that's ever been prime minister of Israel, Golda Meir, said several years ago in the 60s, she says, You know, Moses really wasn't too bright. He came out of Egypt and turned left instead of right. And he found the only place in the Middle East that had no oil. And for a long time, scholars have wondered where is the spoil? That the end time scenario speaks of coming down from the north so they can take a spoil from Israel. What is the provocation that will put the hooks in the jaws of the bear to draw them down? Because Israel was strictly agricultural or high tech. But in the last year and a half, Israel has had four huge game changing discoveries in oil and natural gas. In March of '09, there was a huge natural gas discovery off Haifa. It became called the Tamar gas field. It ended up having 207 billion cubic meters of natural gas and oil. Followed right behind that the same year there, or in 2010, another field off the coast of Haifa, uh, in the Leviathan field, which after looking at it, they're saying it's got over 16 trillion cubic meters of natural gas, and oil there. And in March of this past year another oil field off the coast of Haifa, I mean off the coast of Tel Aviv has been found. And then in June of this year a fourth major oil find. This is a huge game changer for Israel. This guarantees Israel energy and fuel for decades. And it means that Israel will not have to depend on Egypt for oil like they've been having to depend on. And for Russia for coal. And so now Russia has to take their hands out of Israel's pockets. Which they do not like. Okay. Okay and because these oil fields are in kind of a disputed area off in the Mediterranean Sea about 50 miles off the coast of Haifa which can be claimed by Lebanon which already has been claimed by Lebanon there is a dispute there and very may well cause another war even though it's been proven that it's in Israeli waters not only that This means, after these four have been discovered, that Israel now will have the largest oil find in the world. And so it will drastically change not only Israel's economic and energy status, but it will change the whole climate in the Middle East oil supply. Where now two-thirds of it almost comes out of Iran through the Strait of Hormuz. which then has the potential for war to capture the spoil that now resides in Israel. And they've never had it until now. What timing. What timing. For the first time in history, family, for the first time in history, All three of the great religions today have one thing in common. We all believe, whether it is Islam, Judaism, or Christianity, we all believe that we have come into the era and the time of Messiah's coming. And each one of us are doing everything that we know to do in our own eschatological understanding to bring this about. Islam believes it's time for the 12th imam. The coming Mahdi, who is supposed to be 5 to 7 years old. And he must come in a certain way. And they're working toward bringing that in. Judaism is looking and believe they've come into the hour of Messiah's coming. And they must have the temple prepared, the third temple. And they're going like crazy to have that ready right now. And Christianity believe that it's time for his second coming. And we're doing everything we can to get our commission completed of going into all the world. So he may return as well. So I want to look at these three very quickly here. And we're going to begin with Islam. Now, according to Islamic eschatology, the coming Mahdi or the coming Messiah, which is the counterfeit, of the Christian and the Jewish Messiah, right? Because Satan always has a counterfeit. The coming Mahdi or the 12th Iman must come on two waves, two different avenues, okay? One, he must come on chaos and confusion. Of which the Muslim Brotherhood with this so-called Arab Spring is bringing about by the toppling of all these Arab nations right now. is to create chaos and confusion. And also to bring the apostate nations of Islam back under radical Islam, so they may go forward then to take all of the world. Because they're on their third wave of world domination, which was written about, that would come about in the 21st century. And not only that, the other wing and wave that the Mahdi must come in on is an apocalyptic war. And Akramani Wackjob said in 2005 when he came to power that he believed that he had been called by Allah to, to be in leadership at this particular time in history to enable an apocalyptic war to be started so the Mahdi can come in on it. And that's why there is such a race in Iran for their nuclear program and why Israel is the number one that they plan to wipe out because Israel is the hurdle to get to the east, I mean to the west. They come for the little Satan and then the great Satan. The saying in the Middle East is we come first for the Saturday people and then the Sunday. Who are they talking about? Okay. And so this is a little scary for us as we're seeing all these things take place. Because believe me, is if Israel launches this that they're threatening to do, a preemptive against Iran because they cannot let Iran get a nuclear program, they're under the shadow of another holocaust. And believe me, they're not going to go walking without saying a word again into the gas chambers and the ovens. So something's got to happen. And now, Prime Minister Netanyahu, just coming out of these UN meetings, tells us that there's only six months left. They're at 90% right now in their uranium uh, centrifuges. America's not drawing a red line, even though our president administration said that they would. They're still saying, no, we can can talk, we can talk. And Iran says, yeah, let's keep talking, because our strategy is talk and build. So they're moving fast and furious to exactly what they've always said they were going to do. Wipe Israel out and take the West out and conquer the world. And so we have the Arab Spring beginning with Tunisia. Tunisia and then went to it. Uh, to Egypt, and then Libya, Yemen, and now is in Syria. And they've already said to Jordan, which will be the next kingpin, and they've given King uh, Hussein of Jordan until October, what we're in right now, to change his government to a constitutional monarchy or face the next Arab Spring of the toppling of his Hashemite kingdom. And after that, their next target is Saudi Arabia. They said, we're going into Damascus, and then to Amman, which is Jordan, and then to Riyadh. And this has been thousand articles in the Arab presses about this in the past year. They have an agenda, and they're on the roll with their agenda. Now, what we're seeing in the Arab world is authentic and spontaneous, these social revolutions that are springing up. It's by the people and of the people who have been subject to dictatorships, police state regimes, deprivation of human rights. They're real. The people are tired of this, the Arab and the Muslim people. But here's what we need to hear and what we need to know. The problem is there are Islamic organizations which are well organized, very disciplined, and they have an agenda to hijack The revolutions for radical Islam. So they promote the revolution of the people. They encourage the people. They lead out in the attacks. And then they kidnap the revolution for radical Islam. They kidnap the revolution from the people. They then win the leadership in the political government and in the new government just as they just did in Egypt and in Libya And then they make that nation more radical for Islam than ever it was under a dictatorship. Because you see, Islam, radical Islam believes that all of Islam has to be this. And Iran is wanting to be the next leader of the Islamic world. And they believe if these nations are not radical, they're in an apostate state and jihad battle has to be fought against them to bring them back in line so that all of Islam then can be united and can go forth to conquer the world. So that's what they're in there right now is bringing these apostate nations under radical Islam. And the first Islamic organization behind all of this is what is called the Muslim Brotherhood. You need to understand what's going on in the world and all these revolutions and who's behind it. It's the Muslim Brotherhood is the organization. And our government now has officially recognized the government of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt and now are freely negotiating with terrorist organizations that's been on our terrorist list for years. Out of expediency. Now, I'm going to skip over really talking about the Muslim Brotherhood because of the time frame they are in. I can come back and talk to you better uh, about that. But I want to continue on a little bit in, in what is going on here in the Middle East. This part is a little scary. We're going to get to part that's very exciting. Okay? U.S., Israel, Iran... 2012 is shaping up to be the turning point in Israel's long confrontation, confrontation with Iran over their nuclear program. Matter of fact, the U.S. Defense Secretary, Leon Panetta, just said earlier this year in March that he believed Israel would not get past April, May, or June before they attacked. But when Netanyahu came to uh, the White House earlier this year, he got handcuffed, And all kinds of promises so he wouldn't go in then. And now we've just come through the UN uh, meetings just this past uh, uh, couple weeks ago. We've concluded those where President Nijad again lamb-blasted Israel from the UN, from New York, from our land. Prime Minister Netanyahu requested another meeting of President Obama concerning Iran, please draw the red line. If you don't draw it and say this far and no more, or we're coming in, they're going to keep going. And we don't have the luxury of not having a red line in Israel. Now, President Obama refused to meet with him. He refused to draw a red line. He refused to meet with the Israeli Defense Secretary, Ehud Barak, and so on Thursday in his speech, Prime Minister Netanyahu drew his own red line. And said, they're already at 90%. I can see six more months and that's the most. And so basically he said, all right, I won't go in in October before the election like we needed to. Because they felt like if they went in before the election, they still might get America behind them. After the election, if the present administration is elected in, there's no promise that they'll really be behind Israel. Family, we're supposed to be the friend of Israel. And we know they're our only true friend in the Middle East. Only true democracy what we need to understand, there are friends and there are true friends. And right now, America is not acting like a true friend. We have got to pray for our country like never before. I love my country. But God is no respecter of nations He raises up one and he puts down another. And he has said, I'll bless those who bless you concerning Israel. And we have had that blessing on us. So we need to be praying for our nation like never before. Okay? All right, let's switch gears. And let's go to something that's a little bit more exciting about what's going on in Israel. As I kind of begin to wrap this up here. There is a huge Messiah boom going on in Israel right now among the Jewish people, not even just the Messianics, but among the Orthodox Jews and even among the Arabs. This girl, Rania Sayaj, who has HopeNazareth.org, which is a house of prayer for Arabs and Jews in the city of Nazareth up in the north, where, up in the Galilee area where Jesus was his town, where he grew up. She has started this prayer time with Arabs and Jewish believers. And this is just bringing out all kinds of miracles and things that are happening like never before. And it's mostly among the Arab youth and the Jewish youth. She was just in Dallas here just a, a few weeks ago at Chuck Pierce's conference there. And she made this statement. She says, They just came out of a huge meeting of Arabs and Jews there were all kinds of healing all kinds of of reconciliation between the Arab and between the Jew she says and a prophecy came forth while they were in that meeting and God spoke and said through her don't war against Islam worship me worship me this is my war And that's what I was saying earlier. This is not Satan's working. This is God's orchestration. He is doing this that the nations may know he is God. He's able to bring his people back after 2,000 years of being scattered. He's able to establish them again. And he's able to show to the world he can do all he said he was going to do. And she says, the heart of Islam is Saudi Arabia today, is what the Lord had spoken to her. She says, the mind of Islam is Egypt, and the strength of Islam is Iran. Our job is to go to war in worship. And the Lord will confuse and confound the enemy until they scatter. Okay? Now, let me go on and tell you a little bit more things that is very exciting that's going on there in Israel. I said there is a Messiah boom. Messiah the part it is becoming a part of the daily life of Israeli society. Everywhere you go, you see this. It's on billboards. You walk, ride down the expressways and the highways because Israel is a first world nation. And all these billboards are talking about Messiah. And they're not put there by Christians or even Messianics. but There are the Jews themselves. And even the graffiti that's written in different areas is talking about Messiah. Full page ads taken out almost daily in the Jerusalem Post. Talking about the coming of Messiah, that it's time for his coming. Prepare yourself, cleanse your heart and your lives. And even secular songwriters in Israel now are talking about their yearning for Messiah. Now this is unheard of in Israel because I don't know if you know it or not, but the Jewish people are not very kin to talking about prophecy like we are. They just don't talk about it. Not even the rabbis. But for the last year and a half, they have been talking about prophecy. Let me give you a classic, classic example. We have individuals there in the land that we always go to to get a briefing from. So we can come back and share with the church kind of how the Jewish people are viewing what they see going on. We have those in the IDF, the Israel Defense Force. We have those in the media. We have those among the Palestinians. We have uh, those in the Knesset, the government. And these different ones we'll go through and we'll say, hey, tell us, how are you reading this? What's Israel saying about this? Let me give you an example. Uh, We have an IDF colonel. His name is Danny. I'll just say it that way, okay? He is a very secular Jew. I mean, he may go to Yom Kippur services, you know, once a year. It's kind of like our Easter. But other than that, he probably doesn't go. And every other word is a cuss word. He's definitely a soldier. We went to him just within the last six months. And we asked him, we said, Danny, tell us, how is the military, the Israeli military, reading this Arab Spring, this toppling of the Muslim nations right now around you? He looked at us and said, so matter of a fact, he just says, oh, we know. We said, okay, tell us. And he says, it's Gog He says, it's time for Messiah. God is moving us to Gog Magog. That's what they call Gog and Magog. Ezekiel 38 and 39. That war. Which brings in Messiah. Okay? We were blown away. This guy never says anything about God. Much less prophecy and scripture. Later on, we were with a rabbi and his wife, and we turned to his wife, the rabitzim. And we said to her, tell us, what about all these toppling of the nations? Ask her the same question. She says, all we know. It was just some matter of fact. She says, all we know, every mother knows, when you're pregnant, and it's time for the child, the closer it gets, the harder and the harder and the harder becomes the pains. Until you feel like you can't stand it. And then the child is born and everyone rejoices. It's Gog Magog. It's time for Messiah to be birthed, to come forth. I want to show you now, just a second before we start this, uh, this what the Jewish people are saying themselves about the day in which they're living. This will blow you away, Okay? This little video clip that we're going to see now is from two Israeli Defense Force soldiers. Ari Rabimowitz and Jeremy uh, Kendall. They put this together, and this is how the Orthodox Jews, ortho, they're Orthodox Jews, how they're seeing what is happening today in the world according to what's going on with the Jewish people. Okay. That's what the Jewish people are saying, what they're seeing take place today. Jeremiah said in the last day there would be five resurrections. He said the people would come back. He said the land would blossom again. He said the language would be restored and the city would be taken. Jerusalem. That, but the temple will be rebuilt. Family, fulfilled. The people have come back. They have the land. It's blossoming. The language has been restored. They have Jerusalem, their city, full and complete. It is and they're in process. Temple. Uh, I may have told you last year when I was here, or earlier this year when I was here, but they have already started building the temple. They found Solomon's quarry about 200 yards this year from the old temple mount. They have made a decision now the Sanhedrin that they will cut the stones for the third temple from the stones of the quarry of which Solomon cut the first temple. They've already milled the cedar for the temple. They've already certified the red heifer. They can start the sacrifices. They have a rabbinical dispensation that they can work 24-7, which is unheard of, even on Shabbat. They've already elected the priesthood, and they're training them in the sacrifices. They've got almost all of the temple vestments made and all of the prototypes of the temple. You saw the golden menorah in in the video right there, which will be going into the third temple. Why? Because they believe they've come into the hour, and they're fast and furious off-site, prefabbing the temple as we speak. It is a tremendous time right now in which we're living. And Christians know that we have come full circle. And Christians now are rallying beside them. This is a Filipino way, uh, lady who, with five other Filipino Christians, uh, just... Completed the world's largest flag, it's in the Guinness Book of Records, it's the largest flag, it's a nine and a half ton silk flag, decorated with the Jerusalem iron and the western wall on it, this is the flag of the city of Jerusalem. It's not the Israeli flag, it's the flag of the city of the great king. It is now the largest flag. It took two helicopters to unfurl it into Tadikolik Stadium for its first unfurling. It is now in Israel. It is the world's largest flag. It is the flag of the city of the great king now waiting to fly before the king as he comes in. It is a powerful, powerful time in which we are living today. Jerusalem, the place where he put his name from all of the tribes. Israel, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end. Family, this is God's moment again in history. And not only that, but all of the nations now. uh, Sister Valley, give me the next slide, please. All of the nations are making their decision because Jerusalem and Israel has become a watershed nation and city, dividing the nations of the world. And they are choosing which side they stand on. And the scripture says the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And I believe even in the church we're seeing a division because of Israel and because of Jerusalem. But here's how we need to be standing. In these days, whether they are scary or whether they are exciting, God has called his people to be fearless because we know Whose orchestration this is. We knows who we are. And what he is doing. And so how shall we stand? Praising him because of, he's a faithful covenant keeping God. And he is fulfilling his word. Proclaiming all that he is doing. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And for God to save his people Israel. Praying. God's comfort will come to Israel as they're facing the shadows of annihilation and a huge world war that will bring all of the world into it as well. And we need to give because Romans says, if we have received of the Jews their spiritual things, we owe it to them to give to them of our material things. Why? To aid them in their returning, to aid them in their rebuilding and to aid them as they come into this process of redemption coming full and complete. The Lord bless you. I hope this has helped you and to give you fuel for thought and also for prayer. Pastor?
2: Whom they pierced, and all of Israel will be saved in a day. Amen. Now, uh, there's, I, uh, I don't know a whole lot about. Uh, I'm a pastor. I work with people, and I know that Jesus is coming. And these many of these things are interesting to me, and I and I, and I can tell by the fact that you haven't left already. It's twelve thirty. That they're interesting to you. And, and it's true. We, we, as, uh, please stand with me, please. We're going to leave here in a moment. We need to be a people who uh, are sensitive to the word of God and walking in, in light of, 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 of his revelation. Now, as I, as I think of uh, Israel, I think of, of our role. It, it's so easy for us. It's so easy for us as the church here in Jamestown uh, you know, we could call it the Assemblies of God Church here in Jamestown to somehow work and work separately from the church up the street or this church over there. And for the most part, we do, you know. And we, we have a tendency to kind of cloister in our own little world, whether it's right there, here on this piece of land or whether it's a part of this nation. Um, we're connected. We're connected and maybe that's uncomfortable to some to, to just to begin to think in those kinds of ways, uh, but uh, Jesus is coming, and uh, from what I hear and what I see, and 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 this is more than just you know I think you know Paul in his own life says well, you could tell from his writings that he thought that Jesus was going to return in his day, okay. And so, and I remember in the 70s and probably in the 40s, if, if it probably happened in the 40s, and every generation says Jesus is coming anytime. Okay? Now, the times and the epics that God has in his own power and own control are not in our hands yet, yet. He says he gives us, allows us to see the signs of the time. Now, what's our role here? Our role is to pray for uh, the coming of Jesus. Our role is to stand with Israel. Our role is to stand and pray for... You know, I I don't have any enemies. I don't have any enemies that I'm aware of. So I'm praying for uh, the the people in Islam. I'm praying for the people in Iraq. I pray for the people in Iran. Um, Jesus, Messiah is Lord of all, Creator God, Savior of all men, all women, who would turn to him, no matter what their bloodline is, no matter where they come from, where they live. Yeah, We have believers everywhere. We look forward to the coming of Jesus. We look to forward, and we welcome his, his coming. To, go ahead.
0: Let me just share a closing scripture here, Okay to wrap this up because I think this wraps it all up very succinctly it says let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds in other words we keep on keeping on building this community of faith understanding the day in which we're living okay okay Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching.
2: Tonight we'll meet back here again, and uh, Lenny has some additional things he'll share with us. The service is at 6. I'll simply dismiss you with a prayer today. We've kind of gone a little bit longer than normal. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word and for your messenger i'm we 're we're asking your hand that that your hand would be upon us for good things that as this as your plans unfold, that we would be faithful to you in all things, and that we would play and ro- play the role and play the part that you would have us to play uh, faithfully and caringly and lovingly and in Jesus' name. God bless you folks. As you go today, love one another. Tonight at 6, we'll be back.